The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that educates new and experienced gamers about the joys of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover First Rat, our game of the week, discuss consuming board game media in the school of gaming, nom, 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 nom. and wrap it up with our high five racing games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, the esteemed Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? What's going on, Douglas? Nice to be here. Oh, yeah. We've got some stuff to talk about, huh? We sure do. Any follow-up sure from last week? No, just I'd love to get a few more listeners added to our Discord. We have uh, some very active listeners, namely you and Stefan, but it'd be nice to get a couple more over there. So if you are a podcast listener who knows what Discord is, just head on over to the Game Schooler podcast and, and we'll get you right in there. And if you don't know what Discord is, it's pretty awesome little um, channel. If you take the good things from Reddit, the good things from Twitter, and the few good things from Facebook, and you mash them and, up together. And a for, like a forum type yeah. thing. So uh, I don't know. I was thinking maybe we should put something on the website about how to sign up for that or there it some is. steps. But So we'll, that our parents can all sign up for it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's exactly who and I want in there. And then you can program the VCR, yeah. all things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I... I Wanted to address, we got an email from a listener yep. um, about uh, a game recommendation. And there's a couple of things in here that I wanted to talk about. And I think Discord is a great place for something like this. But uh, Matt emailed us and he said, I found your podcast about five days ago and have listened to 10 episodes. Thank you, Matt. Lots of good stuff. I agree. Um, I am two months into the board into board games. And after we were introduced to Azul and was never aware of all the games that are out there outside of the traditional ones like Monopoly Life, etc. There are so many. You review a lot of games that I have interest in. In your opinion, what would be a better game to start with? Trails or parks or trekking? Um, so it's this is hopefully what we're trying to do is bridge that gap, right? We want right. to be that welcoming place for new people. And, and the idea that Matt has been into gaming for two months, found our podcast and said, hey, I, That's awesome. you know, so through the course of our podcast, we're always trying to kind of explain jargon and make sure that people are up to speed and not just blowing by things and talking about the new hotness. Now, as far as a game recommendation goes, there's a lot of variables that go into that, right? So I replied back to Matt and I asked him some questions like, who's playing with you, the age, the experience of the gamers, are you looking for theme? Are there things that are interesting to you, but not to others? Um, he emailed back. He said, some of the other games I'm considering based on your podcast and then watching videos are Cascadia, Reef, Azul, Summer Pavilion, Splendor or Century, Meadow, and probably 20 more that I cannot wow. think of at the moment. Maybe Everdell. I'm just looking for recommendations on where to start. It's overwhelming the number of games that are available. Sure is. And it is complicated. Um so I asked him, I think that one of the best things that you can do uh, as a new gamer is if there is a game that catches your fancy and you think, or in this case, played Azul and, and really liked it, um, kind of stepping back and, and thinking about what aspects 
of that game that you actually liked? You know, was it the complexity was in a good spot? You liked the theme? Um, is there a certain action or thing that you're doing throughout the game that you enjoyed? You know, so kind of taking a step back, thinking about what you actually liked about the game. He said that the weight was right for the group sure. that he's in. And his wife and him like to hike, which prompted the original question and why he thinks the nature theme is one that, that his group would would gravitate towards. Um, so like with those in mind, I think, for example, out of the, some of the games that he mentioned, I think Trails is probably going to be the easiest transition from Azul yeah. um, for new gamers, right? Yeah, and it I has so. that, that hiking theme. Um, if you want the, the idea of learning about parks and, and the national parks, you know, trekking through the national parks and parks in general, um, would be great options. But a lot of the ones that he named that he's interested are all right in that same, same kind of weight and level. Like reef has very similar components to Azul, um, splendor and century are very simple, rules that are easy to grasp and concept. And I think, I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on on some of this well, stuff? Yeah, I think Trails is a great place to start. The I'm just looking up the weight and doing some real-time research here. The, the weight, meaning the complexity of Azul is a 1.76 and the complexity of Trails is a 1.83. So you're splitting hairs there. The time length, about 20 to 40 minutes for each game. Uh, two to four players, 10 plus eight plus. So all those variables are, are very similar. Here's what I like about Trails. It's a simple game with very clear objectives. And, and when I'm done talking here, I'll look up exactly what episode we, we talked about it as a game of the week. But once you play Trails two or three times, and I don't want to say master it, but once you've played it two or three times, you'll master the iconography that you can then use to play Parks. So the actual activity that's happening there, I play one game, and that helps me to learn to play another game. And once that happens, you could do a very similar thing with trekking to play yeah. some other games in that universe. So I I, I could see the benefits. Uh, first off, they're all great games. Congratulations yeah. and welcome to the hobby. Uh, and I won't make any jokes about making sure you have a room to store all your games or anything like that. But in all seriousness, I think you you've touched on some some of our favorites for new and experienced gamers. I I, I really liked Trails. It, there's a lot of game in a little box, which is yeah. also very cool when you're first getting in the hobby. It's not this great big box and I get the board out and I get all the pieces out. No, there's a ton of game in that little I, box. I, I kind of laugh on the idea of somebody like just getting into the hobby and then buying some $400 collector's box, like sitting on a shelf by itself and like, friends and family coming over and like, tell me about this. Yeah, <laughs> you know? what's wrong? So You okay? So this one, you know, Trails is certainly one that can be pretty inconspicuous on a bookshelf if you if you want. Um, I think it, this... And we talked about it in episode 88, but okay. if Matt is looking or other listeners are like, what are these guys talking about? It's designed by Henry Audubon, who also designed Parks, and Parks is a more complex... It's a different game, but similar icons, they, they similar structure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think this that goes back to another thing that we've been doing in recent episodes, and I think this is a, a perfect opportunity to mention, is in the first 100 episodes of our podcast, we talked about a recommended game of the week. Yep. And after that, we switched to the idea of a game of the week with the concept being 
Try them out. Yeah, you don't so have to buy them because so in my, our first hundred episodes, it was go out buy this yeah. added to your collection. Rah! Yeah, and I think you know if Matt can find a, a friendly local game store and and find one in his area that may have a couple of these copies on the shelf to try out. Yeah, and you can try it out and see if you're gonna like it. Um, there's so many things that go into game selection. I take it for granted the idea of being in the hobby for so long that you get develop a shorthand and it's like, oh, I might like this, but there's nobody in my group that's going to play this. Right. So it's kind of useless. Or watching a review and being like, yes, this is hitting on three or four different buttons that I know the game group is going to love it and I'm ready to dive in, you know. But when you're first getting started, it's like, I remember that where you're just grasping at straws. Like, I mean, I think we talked last episode with with our gaming experiences, like, I played Ticket to Ride. I like that. Oh, Days What's of Wonder next? makes yeah. those games. I wonder if there's any other Days of Wonder games I like. And I just started getting those and and branching out. So it is certainly overwhelming based on the number of games that are coming out um, and good games. Um, anything else on that? I would just say enjoy the the new gamer enthusiasm that we've talked about, but really enjoy that, man. I it, it that's a fun part of the hobby. First coming in before it gets into the stress of how am I going to organize my collection? Okay, I actually have to have a budget for this because these games do add up and all those other pieces. You're you're coming into a hobby that is a wonderful adventure with a ton of learning and, and good times and community building. Yeah, so. roads to take. That um, kind of leads into another thing that I, I'm going to kind of let let a little peek behind the curtain here is. Michael and I have been talking behind the scenes and addressing the idea of family games and Mm -hmm. the type of games that we talk about on this podcast. And we're working on kind of creating a definitive list of family games that we have. A definitive list according to the Game Schooler podcast. Yeah. No, I'm going to say definitive list for family games. Say it with your chest, Doug. Go get it. Yeah. Why? It's not limited to Game Schooler. I think that there's the. Board Game Geek is missing the boat, and and people kind of... It's a hard line to straddle because we all get excited about games, and we want to push the boundaries of complexity. Yeah. It's like, oh, I think my family can handle that. And it's like, this would be eventually a, a bare-bones list of maybe 50 games that somebody like Matt, who's brand new into the hobby, and you can give him this list and say... Yeah, you can't go wrong here. can't go wrong. And, These and, are all great games. Um, and so we're working on that yeah. because I feel like there is... We both feel like that there's a a gap in the hobby well, for that that yeah. audience. Yeah, and sorry to talk over here. I'm just, I'm excited about this, Doug. He, Doug is wonderful at sorting, distilling, making an efficient list, and having it flow and make sense. I enjoy connecting things that are on a list together. Uh, so some of that integration of how if you like this game, it could lead to that game, and that game could then lead you back to a different game. And so having a list that maybe doesn't work for just one person but an entire family or if groups come to the table together and and can really see how these are the five or ten games that work for our family, these are the five or ten games that work for me and my group, these are yeah. the five or ten games that work, and, and so I'm well, excited about it. Well, and I think the other thing, too, is it's not going to be uh, a lot of people, and certainly us, I mean, we have our high five list, but um, do here's the top 100 games or whatever. It's like, we're going to make a list, and it may be 50 games, but they're not going to be in numerical order. 
I'm yeah. not, we're not going to say that this game is the number one. Yeah. It's going to be potentially divided out into here's a, a group of five co-op games that, mm-hmm. are, that are great starters. These are uh, five card games. And so we'll have different categories. So uh, to Michael's point, if you're you know, your family really likes card games. It's like, that's your jumping in point. If you really like cooperative games, you can go in there. And, and also and, to know what to stay away from. If yeah. you've got a couple people who are hyper-competitive or if you've got a seven-year-old who is not at a good stage of life when it comes to losing, you might want to stay away from these dozen games. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that's something that we're awesome. working on. Um, I'm glad you brought that up, Doug. To get back to the Discord, um, and this is what's awesome in gaming for me, is Stefan made a... a a post about uh, really enjoying, I'm synthesizing here, but the idea of cherishing the age and the games that you're in, you're playing now. Um, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago about that no matter what season of life you are in, there is a category of games for you. So if your kids are all young, you know there are great kids games yep. and family games that you can play. And as you grow, if you grow into gaming family, you can you know keep getting more complex and and nuanced with the games that you add. And I think there is something very special on the idea of enjoying where you're at. Yeah. Um, and I know I've heard a lot of stories. I've done it myself. I've heard in other podcasts the idea of like, well, I bought Risk Legacy or I bought this game so I can play with my daughter 10 years from now Pandemic because we're going to really enjoy <laughs> it. Like, I think everybody's done that. No, I've done it. And I think the idea of uh, eventually you won't be able to play Animal Upon Animal or some of those other kids' games that you're playing right now. You can solo that, Doug. I'm going to push back it, on that. You should. Time. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, have, what, what, what's have, a lunch break for if you can't do so Animal Upon Animal? I am so good at stacking. You have no idea. <laughs> Um, but just appreciate yeah. where you're at instead of always looking forward what's of like next. what's next and, and kind of be in the moment um, and, and not playing games with your kids and being like, oh, I really wish we could have elevated this to Stone Age, you know, and just yeah. kind of and see it through their eyes as opposed to an adult gamer who's like, well, this is not the exact game well, I want to be playing, right? And, and I kind of have a story to dovetail off of that. I mean, there's a game in my house that I've wanted to get the whole family together to play. It was a, our game of the week in episode 91, Celestia. And I've brought it to the table a handful of times and we've played it a few times. And this past weekend, my seven-year-old, I, I said, I want to spend some time with you. What, what, pick a game, any game. What What do you want? And she had a hard time remembering it. It was just the, the cloud with the boat. I'm like, cloud with a boat? You got to come downstairs <laughs> with me. Which one? And we played Celestia. And Celestia is a, a cool little game of where you are rolling dice and pushing your luck and jumping out of a balloon. And with two players, it plays very differently. I hadn't played it at two players a whole lot and just had that experience that I didn't know was going to happen on a Sunday afternoon. She got to call the shot. So, you know, a handful of months ago, it must have been four or five months ago now, I was trying to push that game to the table so the family could play it and the podcast is coming up, uh, help me get ready. And then it just happened. So yeah. some of those serendipitous moments that just happen when you allow them to happen, um, I'm enjoying that part yeah. or, of, or of the, the idea as well. The it, idea of forcing your kids into the next level of gaming so it's more enjoyable for you Yeah, and avoiding that, you know, where it's like, it would be more fun for me if we could play Stone Age together. So I'm going to throw you in here to the deep end and hopefully we'll find our way 
um, enjoy where you're at. Yeah. Right. It's good. What else you got, Michael? Anything else? We for- still have the Noble Night 10% off um, coupon through the month of May. If you're checking out at noblenight.com, use Schooler23 at checkout, and you'll get 10% off. Um, yeah, and the only other note, you hit on it. I just wanted to highlight that gaming is fun. Gaming is not work. and uh, <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, well, and, uh, Unless you're playing a four-hour Euro. Well, I call that fun. So... <laughs> Uh, I'm really glad that you took the opening into that area because those those are my thoughts. So, All right. Well, just a reminder, if you enjoy what we're doing, continue to spread the word about the podcast. We really appreciate it. And uh, do as Matt did. Contact us with questions or comments. Email at gameschooler.com. Again, that's email at gameschooler.com. Better yet, sign up for Discord and, and start that conversation. If there's something that you... You know, you played, you want to know what's next, you got a question about our high five, or or you want to make your own high five, go on there, and, and we've got a section for that. You go and fill your own high five in there. Yeah, and some of our channels include children's games, family games, gamer games, what's awesome about gaming, school of gaming, and high five. So all yeah. of those are ongoing conversations in different channels, and so love to hear from you. Yeah, jump in there, and, and let's get that community rocking. Uh, but we got a game to talk about, so let's go to the game of the week. The Game of the Week. The Game of the Week is an in-depth look at a family-friendly game we think you should try if you get the chance. This week's game is First Rat. Doug, give us the stats. All right. Published in 2022 by Pegasus Spiel. The designer is Gabriel Ocielo and Virginio Gili. The art is by Dennis Lohausen. One to five players, 30 to 75 minutes. Uh, a consensus with Board Game Geek and the publisher, apparently. Both think it is a 10-plus game. And the complexity is a 2.25 out of 5. Now, before you dive in yes. and give us a flavor text, I have heard this described on a few other podcasts, and I think it's a very difficult game to describe. So I, I'm looking forward to this segment because I think we can do First Rat justice. Sure. Get it, Doug. All right. So in First Rat, each player starts with two rats— and may raise two more. On your turn, you either move one of your rats one to five spaces on the path or move two to four of your rats. So you could possibly have two or, uh, four rats out at once in this winding path of the game board. And you could possibly move two to four of them one to three spaces each. So you can either move one rat or multiple rats. Uh, the only kicker is that they need to land on spaces of the same color. So you may move three rats, two spaces, but they all need to to land on the same color when it's all said and done. Your rats can never share the same space. And if you land on a space with another player's rat, you need to pay them with cheese. Um, And you can borrow cheese from the bank as needed, but it could be very costly. Uh, After movement, you collect the resources. So you'll be collecting cheese, tin cans, Apple cores, baking soda, etc. And those items match the color of the space that you uh, occupied or landed on. Um, you may also land on light bulbs and you move a light bulb track along the light string. And the higher that that it's light like bulb gets, track, yeah. yeah, the higher that gets, the more profitable 
your uh, actions are. So you may be collecting more apple cores or uh, more uh, tin cans, the higher your light bulb is up on that, that second track. Uh, so it's kind of a modifier. Um, so it, it boosts your income on future turns and it more lights in the junkyard where you're searching for these items makes it easier for you to find things. So it's a kind of a good thematic tie-in there. If you end your movement near a store, so there are different stores spread out through this this track, and and the track is almost like a almost like a Candyland yeah. uh, map where you're just kind of winding through. If you happen to end near a store, you can spend resources to buy a backpack or a bottle top. Uh, a backpack gives you a special ability. Bottle tops are kind of end game scoring things. Uh, so you can either buy them with resources or you can steal them. However, then your rat returns all the way back to the beginning of the track, uh, which might not be a, a bad thing at all. Um, you can also spend resources to build rocket sections. Uh, and then once you turn in those resources to build the different rocket sections, you're going to put one of your scoring markers up there. And, you know, the first person to do it is going to get more points in the second and third and so on. So you're kind of filling those up. Uh, there's no limit to how many can be built. But uh, if you're there first, you can get more points. Um, uh, and then let's see, hold on. Let me catch my place here. Um, you can also spend cheese in bulk. So you're collecting, yeah. you may be collecting cheese throughout the, the, the game and you can basically kind of make donations to the cause. Those can score you points. Uh, when you pick up apple cores, there's kind of this separate board at the bottom. It's a, a, um, a rat tunnel, a rat burrow, and it allows you to move around the rat burrow and pick up comics, which are special abilities, stored food, um, and you can also get new rats that way from the nursery. Um, so this is kind of like this other little racing track that you're moving around, depending on the number of apple cores you're collecting is how many spaces you can move. So on the board, there are truly three different racetracks laid out, and they're laid out beautifully. The colors yes. pop. It, it makes a lot of sense. Even halfway through that first play, you can kind of see... I want to do all these things, but there's no way I can do all of them at once. Which track am I going to advance on this yeah, turn? Yeah. yeah. So uh, the other thing that you can do is eventually when you get to the end of, of a track or one of your rats gets to the end, they kind of get uh, loaded into the spaceship. You get points for that. Um, and if that happens, uh, you automatically get a new rat. Yep. So you can either get your rats out faster by going around the rat burrow or if one of your rats gets all to the way to the top, you can bring a new one in automatically. Um, the game ends um, when either a player places their fourth rat on a spaceship or they place their eighth scoring marker on the board. So those scoring markers you're going to place down if you contribute to the rocket ship parts, if you donate cheese, if you get um, your, your rat to the top rocket ship space, um, and there might be a couple of other ones I can't think about, but you're going to be placing those on the board. I think f yep. for laps around the rat burrow, you can get uh, a scoring space there. So there's a lot of and different ways. Furthest up in the light bulb track. And, and as yep. you mentioned, when you unlock rats, there's all sorts of different ways. So, and then once the game ends, the player with the most points wins. Yeah. Um, what's cool about this one is I have, I have written, I, I put down here that it plays simpler than the board suggests. So when you look at the board, it looks kind of busy. There's a lot of kind of components around, and it 
it makes you think that this is going to be kind of more complex than it really is. Yeah. When once you start getting into it, it's probably no more complex complex than Ticket to Ride. And I thought that this was going to be a game that would have a lot of like downtime processing time. Oh, no. But it really doesn't. No, the turns are so fast. Because you're thinking, oh, well, how am I going to get both of my rats to land on the same color. It's not that complicated yeah. or hard. Well, and the math is right on the board. They're laid out so that you move the you move the rats in tandem or you move one rat further ahead to get that bonus. So that's your decision point right there. Yeah. And and or move one rat to then set up your turn next turn. For the next turn. Yep. Where you can move multiple at the same time to land and and get a whole bunch of resources. So what'd you like yeah, about the game? I, I want to jump in though real quick sure. on the initial impression because Doug will chide me, politely make fun of me. I will get excited about a game and very much want to hear it. I'll hear, in the next segment, we're going to talk about some some media. I'll hear some media and get excited about a game. I heard this game described on two, maybe three different podcasts within a very short period of time. I was like, that game sounds ridiculous. I have no (laughs) interest in playing it. And then I walked into a game night, and you had it ready to go, and... I had so much fun playing First Rat. It plays differently than I imagined from the description. Yeah. So I just want to – one of the designers, Virginio, Virginio Gili, uh, has designed Coimbra, a game which I really like, and Alma Mater, a game which I own but haven't played yet, but has done some games with great dice manipulation. And although there's not the dice manipulation on here – that choice of how far to move the rats, I almost feel like I'm throwing dice and making choices without having any dice. Yeah, it's such a yeah. cool little mechanic how those are paired together. And the artist, Dennis Lohausen, Quacks of Quedlinburg, Taverns of Tiefenthal, Luxor, Ark Nova. Yeah, uh, just done a lot of different uh, games. So the art just pops in and it fits together really well on the board. Well, I think a lot of those, you know, you mentioned one of the designers being a co-designer of Coimbra and and um, Alma, Mater. Alma Mater. And so, and, and there's some, you know, Pegas- Pegasus Spiel is another one of those kind of publishers that, you know, kind of first saw is like, oh, those are kind of heavier Euro yeah. games, that type of thing. You know, like it, it implies or looks like it's going to be, like I said, more complicated than it is. Yes. But it is a fun new theme with amazing artwork. Like I wish more companies would like this game stands apart because it's different. Well, and let's let's jump in because you're a big theme guy. I, I like theme and, and I like mechanics. You, if you would have told me, hey, we're going to play a board game where rats are making uh, – what are they making on the moon here? Like, uh, what is well, it? <laughs> it's, it's based on the idea that they found out that the, the moon was made out of cheese. There it is. So they're trying to build a, a rocket ship in the in the junkyard in order to build a rocket ship to get to the moon that's full of cheese. Yeah, I think I'll pass. And then I sit <laughs> down and I see it on the table. It's so much fun. So what this game did for me – it smashed a lot of biases and perceptions that I have about oh, quote sure. unquote board games. Yeah, and, and when a game like this comes along, it only takes about one game a year. Really keeps me interested in wanting to play and try new games. Yeah, I think the other thing that really works with this game, um, and why it would appeal to a lot of audiences, is that there are a lot of cool mechanisms that are blending together in yep. this game. Kind of behind the scenes, you don't even know it, but once I kind of and I don't even think Board Game Geek does a good job of listing all of these, but I'm thinking in my head, and it's like, 
there's set collection, there's a little bit of worker placement, worker movement elements, there's order fulfillment when you're doing those yeah. rocket ship, there's the it's different... Racing. The racing, the victory tracks that you're moving up, how fast can I get this? There's special abilities and powers and... Possibly engine building, engine too. Engine building you, with yep. how you get your, your light bulbs up. So there's so many interwoven things that that work together seamlessly. So many times you play a game where it's like, ah, I can tell that was bolted on, right. and I could tell this was bolted on. This is like, it's all working together. And all three of those racetracks have slightly different mechanics, yes. right, that are that are blending in. And yeah, it, it, it is a great, great little game. But all out of the same core mechanism yep. of moving your rats. Yep. It's all based on one core thing that branches off into all the other ones, which I think is what makes it accessible and approachable because the idea is like all you gotta do is move your rats yeah and, and then sets everything's up happened. and plays in an hour yeah i mean yeah what have you played at larger play counts that was the one question i had for you coming in because I have i've not. only played at three yeah yeah and i i have it set up on the table i was gonna play it solo this week and then life happened and I didn't feel like getting up at 4.45 a.m. this morning just to play it solo so I could tell our listeners that I played it solo. Mm. That's where games are supposed <laughs> to be about fun, not work, right? But hopefully this weekend I'll, I'll try it just because I want to see how it plays. It has – There's I, one listener that has a soul tear it has a running vi- down his oh, cheek sorry, right now. dear listener. <laughs> but it has a very clean solo setup of where you, you flip a card and you move the the – you're playing a two-player game, but yeah, you flip and, a card and you move the other rat based on. And there's it. so there's solo, and there's also some some variable setup and some extra things that you can throw in, um, which I I appreciate. I I like those little modules. Yep. That if you want to add them, you can. But there is also kind of that base setup. Here's what we recommend to start. Uh, throw those out there. Um, the, the only thing I can think of to be aware of on this game, and I think we've kind of addressed it, is that it looks complicated on yes. the table. Yes. You know, and it's just be aware that you you may have people sit down at the table when this is set up and kind of be like, whoa, eyes I'm wide open, and it's like glaze out. And it's like, but I, I think it needs simple. to in order to pop because sure. the other end, it, it needs to have all of that happening to pull people like you and me into the game and be like, what are rats doing on the moon with cheese? But then when you sit down, you just start moving. That that first turn is enough to get people to see how it works. Well, and how and, stale would this game be if they put it on like a generic medieval theme or or things that we've seen all the time? Yeah. It's like, oh, you're collecting wood and bread to then turn into, you know, and like the fact that they did something different is is something that I want to uh, applaud the publisher and the yep. designers for making those choices because it stands out. And I want to jump in on replayability as yep. some as a huge feature to this. I like games where you can race and try to push and get out and close the game down early. And the first time it worked pretty well for me, even though I got absolutely destroyed, I could see, oh, if I do this next time and race a little bit better, I'll do a better job. No two games play the same because <clears throat> the decisions that other players make matter on where I can score on the eight different scoring possibilities. It's not yeah. like there's three different places and if I'm the first one in. No, there's eight different places to score out. And I think that leads into that um, tactical thinking and with the decision-making and that replayability. This is a game that can stand on your shelf for a long time. 
because uh, there are other games that have the racing components in where after you play it three or four times, you you know what the tips and tricks are. First Rat doesn't have that feel for me. Well, this think, has some staying power. Is well, I I'm think saying. it's because I think it's balanced very well. Yeah. Because you can take the approach of like, I'm going to rush my rats all the way up as fast as I can and kind of trigger the end game. But like the counter to that, that the other players may be doing is if you're going along kind of methodically and building your engine and getting massive resources, you're building ship parts to build an awesome rocket to first. build the rocket yep. ships and you're getting points in a different way. So there's some game, there's one game I'm thinking about that I will not mention um, where it's like, it just seems like the obvious strategy is to just race. Yeah. And the the rest of the game, like, well, we'll if, mention it cause it's going to be my, my <laughs> number five on my high five. So okay. we'll come back to that. But it's one that you, you race upon. And then if you want to do any other strategy, you're going to get you're destroyed. Second to third. Yeah. And, but it's like, you're for, taking first rat's different though. You're taking That's, the fun level out of depending on how, yeah. but this allows it to be fun no matter which way you want to play it. Yeah. Have you think. played another game that is like this, Doug? You've played a lot of games, and I don't mean, oh, it has some similarities. Like, no, this game is like first rat. No, the only thing I can think of, yeah. like off the top of my head, that is gives me kind of a similar feel, although. The theme is very different. Is something like Cora, okay. where you have three or four interconnected tracks that kind of all work together yeah. with each other. That's kind of how I think about this game. Is like I can put all my eggs in this basket, Cora, but K H O R A that one. Yeah, you about? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like I can put all my eggs in this basket, but I'm going to be neglecting over here. Mm. But it's like if I fill up this one, I can do a little here, a little there, and. Just trying to get all of those levers right is kind of how this game reminds me of that. That kind of – I'm really glad you said that because I didn't know the answer. We didn't talk about that coming in. I, this game is different. Yeah. So if the only game that you're saying is simpler, is similar is an empire builder, right, Cora, <laughs> yeah. where you're trying to do the same thing, it just – First Rat really stands alone at a family weight game that yeah. is approachable. I think 10-year-old is about right in order to be able to play the game. But it definitely scales up to game group. This is a yeah. game you could take to your game group and people are like, well, oh, yeah, this is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think as far as skills in this game, and I agree with you 100% on the the, the fit there, uh, skills, I think the, the logistics of planning how to get your rats to the locations you need them to and how you're going to, uh, you know, get get these calculators, get this baking soda and build this component of the rocket and kind of planning that step, step, step type of thing. And I think there's also a, a level of spatial perception of trying Absolutely. to mentally visualize where and those number combinations, like, okay, if I move this one, two, he'll be on a red space. If I move this one, one, he'll be on a red space. Ugh, I can't move that guy. I would need to move him four spaces to get him. I'll have to take negative cheese because I'll land on the same space where Doug is. Yeah, yeah. and so... I, and I think that there's enough. We played a, another game recently that had so much variability between turns that it felt like um, uh, every time it was your turn, you kind of had to reset everything in your oh, mind oh, yeah. and you had no ability to kind of plan out. This is a game that feels interactive because you're watching everybody's race and what they're collecting, but there is enough time between players that by the time it's your turn, you know where you want to go. Um, you you know your whole plan doesn't get blown up by one other player's action that you need to kind of step back and be like oh well now what am I gonna do right 
You know, so I, I think that's one of the things that keeps the downtime limited on this one. No, that's really good. Do you have any areas that our listeners should know about, cause for concern, or any nitpicks? I don't really. Okay. I mean, I think that the, uh, this the, this is a stretch, but it's just <laughs> if you're playing with younger kids, it, sure. because this is a game where a seven or eight year old may want to jump in. Just keep in mind that you'll have a, a much different experience. I think even with that 10, 11 year old, that first game's definitely going to be a teaching learning game as they figure out what pieces are. Um, I, sometimes I get very engaged in a game and, and I almost have to really just change my mindset. Like, no, I'm going to play this game with my kids, not against my kids. And, and this isn't a game I would take into game club just because it does run up towards an hour. But e- that's just a note for folks who do play games with their kids that you'll have a great time. But you might also have a very different experience than if you're playing with teenagers or adults who, who yeah. play a lot of games. So I just well, and I also and don't, that's not even a bad thing. It's just no. a note that you're going to get some questions about how things work because of the three different race checks tracks, because of how the rats are chained together, because of trading and resources, because of where they're going to land when they do score. So, and I think it's a good game though that works well for the the kind of the idea of like the helper hand. Yep. It's like if I'm playing with two of my kids, there's not like take that or super secretive stuff that it's like you could literally help them play every turn and you're going to have a very similar experience as if everybody knew what they were doing. So the idea of like this is a very good game for handholding yeah, and I helping just, younger it, players along. If that was my only experience, I could anticipate that I would be judging the game differently. That's all that I'm saying. So if you run out, you get first rat, and you play it, and your kids are newer gamers or in that 10 to 12 range, just don't give up on the game. Yeah, I you mean, might have one one game of that yep. before it kind of clicks in for everybody. All right, anything else before we wrap it up? Okay, so that is our game of the week. Uh, give it a try if you get the chance. That is First Rat by Pegasus Spiel. Let's move on to the School of Gaming. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming. This week, we'll be discussing how we engage with board game media. All right, Michael, what do you got? So I listen to podcasts. I have a weekly rotation that I listen to. I have a kind of a when released. They may not come out weekly, but when they're released, I listen to them. And then there's in others that I will listen to as time permits. And I watch video tutorials to make sure I'm playing the game right, especially with my family if I'm getting ready to teach one or if I'm playing solo and I think this game's either too hard or this is too easy, I'll go back and check videos. Mm-hmm. So those are just the 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 very top line of how I engage with board game media. And I can yeah. get down into specific podcasts and call out, you know, what each one kind of does for me as a gamer, but I wanted to send it back to you before I do too much ranting and raving. Yeah. So I my my big one is is probably YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um I used to do podcasts, but not not as much. I used to listen to the Dice Tower before that ended regularly. I thought that was a really great format of kind of family-friendly, approachable style. Um, so I do watch the the Dice Tower YouTube channel when I 
can or when there's something that that intrigues me. I love. There's a lot of content on there. Yeah, that thing it, that thing could run while I'm sleeping and I still wouldn't get caught up. Yeah, and it's one of those where it's like it has gotten large to the point where it's there are certain contributors and and things that I like to watch and other ones that I just don't care for. Sure. Um, and and then I'll also watch uh, watch it played with Rodney Smith if there's something that I kind of want to get a little bit more, a, a better idea of how it actually plays by getting a rules teach. Um, the other thing I do is I, I follow a lot of publishers on Twitter. Okay. Um, I think that's probably, for me, one of the best places to get news. Sure. On Absolutely. what, you know, because they're promoting their stuff uh, type of thing. Interesting. The kind of the big elephant in the room for me has been Board Game Geek, where... Recently, I'm kind of questioning under the idea of, of is this site for me anymore? Mm. Um, Michael and I have you know kind of talked off air, and I feel like when I got into the hobby, the uh, what I would say nowadays a complexity of a, a 2.6, a 2.5, those were almost the complicated games at the time. Those were like your your heavy euros. <laughs> Uh, for for better or worse, things like Stone Age and Castles of Burgundy, those were like, if you're into gaming, those are the games that you like. And now Board Game Geek seems to, the, the audience or the group that is in that, that ecosystem has like almost pushed those games down as if they were family games and anybody should just be able to pick them up to where the games that are being, I feel like that are being elevated now are games that are above a 3.0 in complexity out of five. They're games that are running two to three hours. They have a ton of minis. And it's like those are the games that are dominating the hotness uh, all the time. And I feel like there is a shift. I still go on Board Game Geek. I still use it certainly as a reference material or if I'm looking at a, a game that I am interested in. But like the general like hotness seems to have drifted away from... I don't want to call it casual gamers, but that that lightweight, yeah, medium medium weight game. And I'm a little bit different, I think, because when I entered the hobby this go around, you know, that 2018 ish, um, I just don't see all of that. To me, there are there's so many of those games on Board Game Geek that I I think I just have a different filter or blinder to them. Like, yeah, I know I'm never going to play those. At least that's my mindset right now. Where I go to Board Game Geek is for research. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm, I guess I'm engaging with it a lot more than I probably think that I am. I think logging your plays. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love, yeah. Well, I, I do a lot. So yes. Yeah. Um, I am on there a lot and it's, it, so it's interesting that we have those different takes. Um, but, well, but I don't think they're different. I, if you don't know that, um, those games were not always the hotness all the time like yeah. they are now you wouldn't think anything of it you would like if i had just gotten into the hobby a year ago i would just assume that those games like well, i'm never going to play them and those are always up there sure it's more of the kind of the longevity and and of of seeing that transition of what now is making it to the number 1 positions as as games are getting knocked down in ranks and 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 also looking at our podcast through the lens of board game geek and and just wondering like this just doesn't seem as welcoming 
as as maybe it was. And maybe I'm looking back with rose-colored glasses of uh, imagining a, a simpler time, but that there is a gap in that casual weight gamer and family gamer that's uh, a, a huge barrier to entry. Well, like uh, somebody like Matt that emailed us, like... <laughs> I almost feel like it's like, hey, check out Board Game Geek. And it's like you're pushing somebody into Sherwood Forest and running away in the other direction. Like, figure it out, friend. Yeah, and I think that gap that you talk about, that's where I fill it with other regular content. Yeah. And so— Your filter is coming uh, from outside the world. Yeah. So The Family Gamers is a podcast I listen to every single week. Andrew and Anitra do a phenomenal job. They cover so many games. I think they operate on a 30-hour day, Doug, because (laughs) they they cover and review a ton of games. And and then Board Game Barrage, who won the Golden Geek last year, and I've been listening to them for about a year and a half now— um, they do an excellent job of looking back, and the, so they'll. They'll. I've learned a lot about games from that 2004, 2007 to forward yeah. range, and they and they have multiple hosts on the show who have very different takes of, of games. So those are weekly ones, and then Dice Tower now is for the news. I think you kind of said like what you do with Twitter, yeah, um, with the publishers. That's where I get that from Dice Tower now, and then Shut Up and Sit Down. Um, is obviously one of the biggest board gaming podcasts and dominates so much. Um, of I think they they really push the hotness. You know, yeah. when it, when they talk about a game, it it winds up in the top ten of the hotness. And yeah. so, um, it, yeah, it, it is an interesting take because I can't imagine what it would have been like. You know, jumping into Board Game Geek in twenty ten, eleven, or twelve, or thirteen, whenever you did, and and I'm sure what you're talking about, it's changed. Yeah. Well, and I think, and and this may be rich or ironic coming from a, a content creator, but as loose term. The yeah the the idea of um, my life and and time commitments and things changing, and you know we've talked. So not only do you have like three thousand board games coming out every year, but you now have fifty to a hundred people covering all those board games, and I feel like my need to have a faster filter mm-hmm. up front yeah. is even more apparent because it's like I don't have time to watch every. 10 minute overview 50 you know 15 minute overview slight review on every game that people are putting content out so it's like you have to narrow it down first and it's like somehow trying to take a sip from a fire hose and only get the droplets you need without getting your face blown off yeah i think um I won't touch that metaphor because I wasn't ready for that to segue into a different thought here. Um, but it was about six months ago when we were having a discussion, and I know the game. It was Biblios. That was our game of the week, and I went out and got like five of them and then traded them just because I was trying to review, 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 get ready. And I I had a, an epiphany where I don't want to be a reviewer. I'm glad there are reviewers out there. And reviewers yeah. – most of them, it's not their full-time job. It's a labor of love. Yeah, they might get some review copies, but they got to do work. I want to be a player, yeah, a board game player. <laughs> I want to play games. So I'm grateful that the reviewers are out there. But in, in the world of engaging with board game media, I see myself in that next ring out as just 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm a board game player, and I want to play all of these games, and that's where those reviews tend to help because you can pick up on themes of there are certain reviewers that I identify with of yeah. games I'll like more. But yeah, it's tricky. It's really tricky. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of stuff out there, and the idea of of, of trying to narrow it down and how do you, you know, and maybe it's a, a perfect episode to talk about the thing uh, that Matt emailed us about is yeah. how do you filter out the amount of content and, you know, th- those are some of the things that we do and I still feel like I'm I'm overwhelmed, missing stuff um, and, and trying to do the best I can you know, we talk about a game every week, but it's not necessarily a review. It's uh, and maybe it was when we were recommending a game, yeah, but, but we've, it's a game we've played and enjoy, and we think that people should give it a try. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's us talking about what we liked about a game, and and we're not getting on here and talking about here are the ten games I played last week. Here's how they all play, and here's what I thought about why they were good or bad. It's like I don't want to waste anybody's time with a game that I didn't enjoy or didn't think was good. Like. What value does that add? We should we should develop a bonus segment and then charge people just yeah. to listen to here are the games. <laughs> here's, here's the game schooler angry rants, angry on, rants. on a Patreon Arr. account. We'll see what Let happens. Let me tell you all of the things I hate about gaming. There's um, just uh, two other podcasts I want to give a shout out to or three if that's okay. It, I'll allow it. Uh, thank you. But <laughs> at the table with Tom and Eric, uh, you've got Tom Bassel and Eric Summers, who summer, summer, sorry, previously of the Dice Tower, currently still of the Dice Tower, but they have a podcast that comes out every other week. And it, it's fantastic. It's an interview with somebody who's in the industry, and it's just phenomenal. And then Five Games for Doomsday mm. is another really good interview style talking about five games that you would take if the apocalypse were coming and you could only take five with you those are and ben maddox is the other one those are the other two that are in my regular rotation but they don't come out weekly um yeah there's a lot of ways to engage with board game media the one thing that i will say that i've been shocked about when we have reached out and sent people an email even just an email of gratitude or a question people respond it's not always that way in every hobby. A lot yeah. of times there are filters and firewalls, so you can't get to folks. And the board game media, by and large, just seem to be really accessible and excited that people want to play games and listen yeah. to them talk about games. Yeah. All right. Well, that is how we consume board game media. Uh, hopefully, we're part of the way that you consume board game media, if you're listening to this. Um, but... We've got some uh, racing games to talk about, so let's go to the the high five. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. And this week, Michael and I are going to share our high five racing games version two. The first time around, Michael didn't make a list. This time, I'm going to race you. All right. (laughs) See who can get through their their, their, uh, list faster. I think... We will have two crossovers. Well, we'll see. Only one of my games has not been a game of the week. And that's number five, Extraordinary <laughs> Pi- extraordinary Adventures, colon, Pirates. I have no idea why Glenn Rover and Don Beyer chose to call it that. Just call it <laughs> Extraordinary P- 
Pirates or Adventures, but a game that I can never get the title of right. Uh, Forbidden Games publish it. That's Glenn Drover's uh, publishing house. And this is a racing game. And guess what? I'm going to give it away, okay? First one to get to the end last <laughs> is always going to win. It's a game that I enjoy more than than others. I brought it up a few weeks ago in games that I thought should be ranked higher. Um, just a, a fun little game where you have some ships and you can decide if you want to go into port or you can just race to the to the end. Um, I went out and got the player mat just in case anyone ever wants to play it with me again. Uh, it's a game that I stubbornly will not put on a trade list or get rid of my collection until someone in my family at least plays it one more time with me. Usually it only comes out on Father's Day or my birthday. <laughs> I really like it. I feel but, I, I just have visions of you at a convention sitting in the corner by yourself with the, it the play, solo with the play mat. No, with the play mat out and the game all set up and like nobody de- shows de- up to de- play it. Desperately holding up a player <laughs> player's wanted flag nobody and nobody's coming home. over. Yeah. Well, that's how it is at my house. All right, uh, but that's it. I like the art. I like how it plays, and it's just a fun little pirate adventure game. All right, so for this list, one of the things that I I put as my little uh, kind of criteria is I wanted racing games that had that element of everyone kind of standing and waiting and and excited about the race happening. So there are things that um, Board Game Geek considers a racing game that you are racing and extraordinary pirates would be one of those where it's like you are racing in the game to get to a a certain point and potentially the person that gets there first is the winner um but the games that i put on my list are all ones where i felt like people are anxiously awaiting to see who is going to win um and the only (laughs) this is the the, my number one now i've actually got two on my list we start with five on our high five what did i say number one no, my number two and my number five are uh, games that are hard to get that I didn't... The, the My number five, I was not aware that it was hard to get and was shocked when I saw the price at Noble Knight, um, but I had to put it on the list, and that was Tales and Games, The Hare and the Tortoise. New and Shrink, $200, apparently. Yikes, Doug! <laughs> Whoa! And this was, this was part of like a storybook set yeah. that that Yellow was putting out in 2011, and I just cl- kept getting you, them yeah. as, they, as they came out. Um, but The Hare and the Tortoise is, a, is an interesting game in which you get, and it's a, a lightweight family kids game, you get one of the, I think there's five characters in the game. You get kind of one card dealt to you randomly, and that's one of them that you want to win. And then you're going to get a hand of seven race cards, and you're going to pick one of the animals that's represented on that as kind of a secondary bet. And then you're playing cards down uh, of all of one animal type. Yeah. And then when the group either hits eight animal or eight cards or four of one type of animal, it triggers a race phase for the the five different animals in the game and each animal moves in a different way. So like the turtle is going to move or the tortoise is going to move every turn, no matter what. So it just keeps plunking along the hare. Uh, if, if like three, one to three cards of his are played out, he's going to move two spaces. So he's running, but if you yep. put too much out there, he doesn't move at all. And so they all like the, there's a sheep in there that, 
runs really fast, but has to stop every time to get a drink of water whenever he stops to water. So even if he could move five spaces, he's only moving two. There's a wolf that uh, that can move through and scares other animals, preventing them from moving at all, and it can move along. So it's got all these little things, and you're playing cards down to manipulate the race, but I don't know who you want to win. Mm. You don't know who I want to win, and you can kind of play these cards down that uh, trigger the so it's like you want the hair to go, yeah, and I'm playing extra cards down. It's like, mm, guess the hair's not moving this turn because too many cards came out. Um, so it's just really fun. And like I played this with my oldest daughter, Emily, when she was probably seven to eight, and she got into it like big time. Like, oh, I can't believe that Tortoise is not winning. Like, <laughs> so it had those moments of like everybody that gets get getting down to the end, people are like. Come on, come on, come on. So that is uh, my number five, Tales and Games, The Hare and the Tortoise. Awesome. So, dearest listener, if you're keeping score at home, you can buy that game or <laughs> you can get all five games on my list and still have about $25 <laughs> left in your wallet. Number four for me was our Game of the Week in Episode 80. It is currently the 17th family game of all time, ranked 130 overall, designed by is me. Dr. Vina Canizia. That's the Quest for El Dorado 2017 release. There's actually a beautiful new version. Um, just new art. New artwork. Yeah, but I had to put one Quest game down. I was searching for one one racing game where you're not on a track or, or out on the high seas. And the Quest for El Dorado, you get little rewards if you're the first one across um, part of the barriers. We, we talked about this game at length. Back in episode um, 80, like I said, it was also a Spiel de Jars um, winner, I do believe. Uh, or was it just nominated? No, it was a Spiel de Jars winner in 2017. It, it is a fantastic game, whether you like Reiner or you don't. Yeah, that was on my uh, honorable mentions. And that oh, was one no that, crossover there, huh? Yeah, no, that was just one of those that, that missed out because it didn't didn't kind of meet that racing oh, requirement. Oh, you're calling it a fake racing game. I, no, it's I definitely it. a racing okay. game. Michael, it's on my honorable mention. I don't know what I, else I can do I, for you. Beautiful. Talk <laughs> me out. Don't let me buy the new one just because it has different art. Don't That's do, what you can do. Don't do that. Thank you. Buy a copy of Tales and Games first. <laughs> <laughs> the Hair and the Tortoise. Save up for that. No, I'm good. Start a small investment <laughs> fund for the Hair and the Tortoise. Uh, my number four is Camel Up. Published mm. in 2014 by Eggert Spiel and the designer is Stefan Bogan. This is a uh, a racing game where there's different legs of the race and you're kind of bidding on camels uh, during each leg. And it has this pyramid that kind of shuffles dice and the one that comes out and the number is how far that camel is moving. So each leg you're you're placing new bets like I think this one's going to be ahead, this one's not, this type of thing. And so. It's a little bit different in the idea that you don't have like I'm I'm rooting for this one right in the beginning and I'm I want that one to win the whole time. This one it fluctuates and you're kind of resetting every round and once somebody, you know, claims the high bid on a certain camel, that high bid is no longer available anymore. So, um it's a, a fun game. I was going to look here. I don't have it of what how many players it has camel up yeah but i think there is a second edition out uh that i think just kind of tweaked some artwork but it plays up to eight players so and there's toy factor in that one right i mean that thing 
pops on the table. Yeah, I think the the pyramid and the one that I have is cardboard and kind of held together with rubber bands, and the new one is a big nice chunky plastic, plastic yeah. uh, contraption. So yep. that is my number four, Camel Up. Cool. Number three for me was our game of the week back in episode one hundred three, and that is Heat Pedal to the Metal. You are racing around a racetrack. As you play cards out of your hand, it's just a wonderful hand management game with some awesome catch-up mechanisms. I think that's a a good way of just summarizing what makes that game different and fun. Um, Plays really good solo as well. Plays up to six players, 30 to 60 minutes. Um, I I have a feeling Doug's going to have it somewhere on his list, so I won't take all of the good things about the game. But that is number three for me, Heat Pedal to the Metal, Days of Wonder. Uh, Asker, Harding, Grand Rue, Daniel, Skold, Peterson, and then Art again, Vincent Dutrade. Yes. Um, yeah, I may talk about that in a little bit. Uh, my number three is one I think will be a crossover, but who knows, uh, and that is Downforce, published in 2017 by Restoration Games. Designers Rob Davio, Justin D. Jacobson, and the original design was by Wolfgang Kramer. Um, Downforce is a game in which uh, you kind of bid for ownership of of the cars that are in the race and if those cars finish uh towards the top of the list you can get points that way but you also get points on betting on which car you think will win yep um and you do that three times throughout the race so it's possible to win the game without having the winning car or owning the winning car which i think is really cool a lot of times it's well, you own the red car, and the red car wins, so you win the game. This one has it has it split into two different sections. And the other thing that's really cool about this game is you are, on your turn, you're playing a card from your hand, and that card has movement for almost all of the, the cars in the game. Yeah. So you are going to be moving cars that you don't own and trying to manipulate those cars in a way that Maybe sometimes the ones that you don't want get log jammed behind other ones, and you can, you know, move the one that you do want to win, even if it's a car you don't own, but you are, you know, you're heavily invested in betting on it. Um, is a is a great uh, mechanism that works so well. It plays fast. It plays a, uh, you know, th- this is one of those that every time I played it is exciting. Yep, and it's a great game to show people who haven't played it before. Because of a lot of those factors, it's my number two. So I'm just okay. going to go in and do the bookend here. It's uh, incredible toy factor. Doug, did you ever have micro machines as a child, or am I, I dating? Lo- I lo- no, I love <laughs> those. the, the micro machines guy. Man. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mr. Testaverde from I Saved by the Bell. Loved micro machines, and the first time I saw this game on a table, I thought I'm playing a board game with micro machines, and there's betting and gambling. I'm in. But it is a fantastic game, and it's one that really brought restoration games to, to my attention the first time that I played it. And so, yeah, and then that we talked about that in episode 34. 34. 34 yep. Um, and it was actually I'm just looking at my list the first time around. That was my number one last time. Oh, cool. So it, I did not look at your. Oh, I had that as a note. Let me read my note from the beginning of the segment. <laughs> I did not go back to the list the first time we did this for research. I all right, I've, I've, I only have two on my list that were on there last time, and that is the Hare and the Tortoise and Downforce. Mm. Quest for El Dorado was my number two last time. Interesting how much it slid. Yeah, okay. it's a disaster of a game now. Uh, okay, keep going. What do you have at two, Doug? <laughs> uh, my number two is uh, a horse racing game. 
And there is a newer version of this out, but I still am in love with the old version, and that is Longshot. Uh, the original was published in 2009 by Z-Man Games, um, and the designer is Chris Handy. So there is Longshot the Dice Game, which, did we talk that? Was that the game of the yes, week? Yes, it was, okay. back in episode 119, which is shortly in the future. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's so, coming down the road. Yeah, we don't, have, don't hold us to that. No, but well, we have it on, on it, our list as 119, is, so is, I think we can hold us to yeah, that. It, <laughs> it's, it's coming up. It's scheduled. <laughs> um, but Longshot, the original game, the, the reason I like this one still is it just reminds me of um, there's, there's paper money and the horses are going around the track and you've got, you're playing cards from your hand and you roll dice. And, it, and you're, you're rolling a horse die and a movement die. You roll it, and then the, the horse that was, was rolled moves the number of spaces at the, the movement die. However, the other horse cards also may have that dice on them, which allows them to move a little bit too. So even though maybe the number eight horse is moving three spaces, the number two horse has the eight horse on it, so it moves one space. So... A lot of horses are moving every turn, but I like this because it has that, you know, a lot of people complain about paper money, but yeah. this like really feels like being at a horse track <laughs> with the paper money. And I think maybe some people probably get this from like Ready, Set, Bet yep. is a new game that that came out um, that you haven't played. Yet, I haven't have played. You? Have you? No, no I haven't it's either. been on my want and trade list. And so I, it's like, I feel like it Johnny has Claire. that uh, excitement and fever pitch of... The horse race, like, and they're getting close yeah. to the thing, and you can't bet after this, so you want them to, you know, I want to get my bet in for this now, and uh, you you score points for the bets that you make and owning the horses that win, and so it's got a little bit of everything that, um, you know, kind of expands and blows up what's in downforce into more of a a full yeah. full game. And I have not played the original version. But I do have long shot the dice game as my number one. So okay. it's almost like we talked about this and yeah. mapped it out. What my family loves this game. Okay. Uh the just the the rolling of the dice and the the pushing of the horses. Um it, it's it's a fun one. And it, how everything crosses in long shot the dice game, um how people I love crossing things off on my sheet, and so does my family. And so we're, we're kind of seeing what the impact is of that horse movement and how everything lands. So Yeah, they basically took long shot and converted into a, a roll and write with a board yeah. that, that really functions well and keeps a lot of the same exciting elements of the original. And what, what I love about the long shot, the dice game, is the social interaction. It feels like I'm at a race. Yeah. It just the the banter, the talking. You you cannot just play this game head down looking at your card. There are a lot of dice games and I love rolling rights, but where there's not a lot of interaction. And yeah. long shot the dice game, and we'll talk about this a lot in episode one nineteen coming up. But you're talking, you're moving, you're maybe talking a little bit of trash to your kids or your spouse. It's like whoever's at the table, we're at a we're at a track, let's have some fun. Yeah. Have not had a bad experience with the Doug. And Played I, it with a lot of different groups. And I think that feeling is what gets for me, elevated yeah. in the in the big board game. It's cool. like it expands uh, I it out. Try it. It's almost the idea of like if that gives you the feeling, the board game gives you 
the cigar and the little green hat to go with yeah, it. Yeah, like that's that, cool. <laughs> like that kind of element. It just makes it a little bit feel more grand, Can I, guess. I wear the hat and smoke the cigar here in the game school or headquarters? Yes. Probably not. Yes. You need to do that outside <laughs> in the porch. Yeah, we'll do that in the winter. <laughs> okay, We're going to play a no long thanks. shout out uh, in the winter. What's um, number one for you, Doug? My number one is the other crossover that I predicted, and that's Heat, Pedal to the Metal. Oh, yeah. Uh, published in 2022 by Days of Wonder. Just if if you want a racing game that feels, you know, if you're in the video game world and you like something like Gran Turismo or or Need for Speed or those type of games like Mario Kart, like this feels like racing with just the right amount of complexity. Yep. It, you know, there are some racing games that tend to be more towards simulation and they can get really dry. And then there are some that are just... Um, dice chucking, you know, games where you're just, it's a free for all trying to race. This one is the perfect balance. Days of Wonder knocked it out of the park that they have a game that has just the right level of kind of simulation, monitoring my car and, and, and the catch up mechanism. The catch up, you're and never nobody, out of it. Yeah, nobody is ever out of it. Um, this is one that, although it wasn't on my list the first time around, like this game it wasn't out yet. No, it wasn't out yet. But it, no, my game that it replaced mm. was not on my list. But this game obliterates a game like Formula D for me, mm. okay. which used to kind of be like that. If you want a racing game, this is the game that you you play and you roll a different die for depending on what gear you're in um, type of thing. But Heat Pedal to the Metal just destroys that. Yeah. I've had a great time every time I've played it. It comes down to the wire. People are antsy, excited. Yeah. Um, it's just awesome. And I had it on my list last week as one of my top five gaming experiences because yeah. of that last card. There is that sense of victory. I'm <laughs> and, not and, out uh, of it until it's and, over. And also defeat. You yeah. Know, when somebody slides by you at the end, it's like, oh, man, I thought I had it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great um, one. The only other one I had in my honorable mentions was uh, Can't Stop, mm. which is an old Sid Saxon game in which you are rolling dice. And you're you're matching off. You're rolling four dice and matching off the pairs, and you're trying to climb up these different tracks. And once you can get to the top of three tracks of numbers, you win. Um, however, if you keep and you can keep rolling as long as you want, uh, it's going to push your luck element. Um, but once you can't make a, a a pair and move up on a column, you you bust and go back okay. to where you originally started. So there's a race element with a push your luck element that I think is is really clean, simple, and elegant. Any honorable mentions for you? No, and I'm just looking through the greater Board Game Geek list to see. Uh, Candyland does not make honorable mention for me. Mm. I think I covered um, – there's a lot of racing games that I want to play that are on my want to play list because I love I love racing games. So, yeah. But the, these are my top five. All righty. So that is our uh, High Five Racing Games version 2, uh, V2.0. Um want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy what you're doing you know get that that podcast as as soon as it comes out every friday morning or if you enjoy what we're doing do the same thing why would i say if you enjoy what you're doing yeah well if they enjoy what they're doing of listening to this podcast oh i gotcha i gotcha <laughs> um also a reminder to like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at game schooler you um we would appreciate that 
as well. Next week, we've got Cape May on the schedule. Yes. And games that surprised us. And I think we might have to look at what we're doing on School of Gaming. Um, But for sure, those two things are coming out. So thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We truly appreciate it. Now get out there and keep gaming. (laughs) 